It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That pretty starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a freaking listen to yourself in the world, but it don't need something to your own head. Beat it up and I've got no teeth. The ladder puts a platter with a fear fight down. Next fire in the fire, Mr. Simpson's other gangs in the government for hiring the combat site. Break it wasn't coming in a hurry, but you're getting it down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. dark heart of the city, a mysterious figure known as Dr. Bones is walking around, walking <laughs> around the dark heart of the city. And how dark is it? I I'm, mean, what happens during the day? Is it a light heart of the city? <laughs> Maybe. I'm just glad you're walking around. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know how long that'll last. I'm hoping. I'm hoping. <laughs> That's all we can do is be hopeful that we'll be walking around for a good long time. That's right. Always be thankful for good health. That's right. Hey, this is the Hour of Doom. And Bloom. Friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a tower of triumph in a terrible world. I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over a thousand posts, videos, and podcasts a medical preparedness for any disaster. And I'm Amy Alton. I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. And together we are the dynamic duo, the medical matrimony, the courageous couple, spectacular spouses that are here to help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. And let's hope it doesn't fall apart. And I feel like I'm falling apart, but... Hey, we all got our problems, dude. That's right. We all Suck have, it up. That's right. Are you walking? I'm walking. Are you talking? I'm talking. Can you chew your food? I can chew my food, then although I be... prefer to have other people chew it for me. <laughs> then you know what? You should be very, very thankful. And you woke up this morning and saw the sunshine. There you go. And took a breath, right? Absolutely. Okay, there you go. That's all you need, honey. That's and a little right. bit of love. And a little bit of love. A little we've bit of got, love. We've got that. Hey, friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident with a gregarious grasshopper, maybe a little too gregarious? Well, our attorney says don't call me. Call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy and listen to this. All information, all information (laughs) given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings, no contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and 
wherever it is available. That's true. You know, it's great to have the miracle of modern medicine at your fingertips. Oh, yeah. But what happens in a disaster when the ambulance might not be just around the corner and the rescue helicopter is just not there, not visible on the horizon either? Somebody's got to be the end of the line when it comes to keeping their people healthy in times of trouble. And that someone might just be you. So show the world you got more sense than the Lord gave your dirty laundry and get some training, <laughs> absorb some education. And while you're at it, get some supplies and maybe a quality medical kit to go along with all that knowledge. And what better place to get it than the lovely Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated, never equaled medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. I promise they'll help you deal with medical issues that you'll face in any disaster. They're designed by yours truly and honest to gosh, old country doctor, uh-huh. medical, but also a fellow of the American College of Surgeons, and hers truly, an advanced registered nurse now, practitioner. wait a second. When you say country doctor, you mean like U.S. doctor? Yes, like that the country. country. Yes, that country. Yes, <laughs> yes I would. As opposed to any other country. That's right. I was just wondering. Compare our kits for quality, contents, costs with anybody else's stuff. Or just ask anyone who's ever bought one, and you'll agree our kits are the ones that you should have in your medical storage. By the way, our kits are approved for your health or flexible savings account, too. Read our testimonials page at store.doomandbloom.net and see what people have to say about our medical kits and our service. Hey, you know, we learn as much from you as you do from us. So connect with the geezer and the goddess. Toss <laughs> us a nugget of knowledge. I know you can do it. It's so easy, and here's Nurse Amy to tell you how. First, you have to sing It's So Easy. It's so easy. It's so easy. Oh, oh, oh. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) You can contact us by email at drbonespodcast at aol.com. Find us on Facebook at our group, Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones. That's with the DR. Bones and Nurse Amy. Like and follow our Facebook page, Doom and Bloom. You can also follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. And don't forget our YouTube channel, DR Bones Nurse Amy. That's right. You do us a big favor by subscribing to our Prepper Show uh, Twitter feed and yeah. our YouTube channel, the DR Bones Nurse Amy channel. And of course, our course. Makes us feel loved. That's right. We'll say. So, so give us a. So, send us a so little. It's a way love. without saying it, but just acting. That's right. And sometimes actions speak louder than words. That's right. So do us a Actually, solid. Actually, most of the time. <laughs> there, there you go. There you actions go. speak louder than words. By the way, we also have another podcast. It's called American Survival Radio and broadcast with Genesis Communications Network. And you can find us in land-based radio stations all over the USA plus GCNlive.com. Now, I, I know you're probably going to talk a little bit about our vacation. Yeah, let's talk but a little bit about that. But I'm going to ask you a question before we talk about our vacation. Okay. Are you going to talk about bed bugs? Bed bugs? No, not today. Because but... I got oh. three bed bug bites before I demanded that we change our room. That's right. As a matter wondering. of fact, I'll tell you that's a great so topic t- for next week. So tell where were we? We were in beautiful Sanibel Island, so pretty, Florida. So pretty. Thankfully for us, is only a two-hour drive. Yes. From our house. That's right. Well, you know, from our standpoint, we were there because it was easy to get there, but we also were there because of our good friends Jack and Dorothy Spearco, Jack's uh, very popular podcaster, and I'm sure all of you guys know him. But 
they were there for that's apparently their favorite place to vacation and so yes. we went up there to see what's going on it's a beautiful beach it's got lots of beautiful seashells it's probably the seashell capital of the state oh so much know. fun to wake up early and go walk on the Hunt beach for seashells although i'll tell you on I, the seashore i never beat other human beings on the beach no matter how early i get up i swear there are people who just stand there from midnight and wait until five o'clock in the morning so they can be the first one to get all the shells. Well, there's it's, stuff also it's that. Well, because there's stuff also that happens at night there. The sea turtles oh, yes. at this time of the year are coming up onto the beach to lay their eggs. So we saw a lot of uh, sea turtle nests there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that. And I takes... enjoyed my, my favorite part besides hanging out with them and our boat trip were the pina coladas. <laughs> Oh, I haven't yeah. had alcohol in weeks. <laughs> that well, was fun. They were delicious. Delicious. Well, thank you very sun much. Sun and fun. Right. With, and a little bit of pina coladas. I felt right. like I was on a tropical island. Well, that's right. I kind of was on a tropical island. Uh, you were. It is a, a subtropical island. <laughs> I guess you know island, what actually. it is when you live in Florida. You don't think about the area around you as being, you know, like a tropical paradise. It's just kind of home. I feel like I have to go somewhere else for that. Right. It's like true. The, the Bahamas or something. But, yes, it is a tropical island. It's uh, quite beautiful. And there are some uh, actually decent-priced hotels on the beach in Sanibel. Yeah, I think it's a – I I'm say Captiva, sure. but, but Jack insists that it's Captiva, that that's what the natives call it. And I apologize if I say Captiva. That's just what I grew up knowing over mm. here on the other side of Florida. No, Captiva so, is just the Spanish version, I guess. I don't know. It's just like Key West. In actuality, Key West was in in Spanish is Cayo Hueso, but it has nothing to do with the direction west, and it has nothing to do with the word key. It it has actually to do with the word K, okay, and also hueso. The word hueso in Spanish means bone, so it was actually bone K. So like a bone it, island. Yeah, essentially is what oh, it is. Oh, that's so, interesting. But they, it just over the course of time as it was uh, populated by Anglo folk mm-hmm. that it became called Key West. Well, an, another – it is so far west. That's true. And that's about a four-hour drive for us. But uh, one cool thing about Sanibel that most people don't know is it actually runs east-west, the island. Right. And so the sun sets not off the water in front of your hotel, but down at the end of the beach. What you would think would be north. So it's really <laughs> kind of confusing when you get on the island yeah. because if you think it's right, the rest of the parallel state, to Florida, it's right. not. Right, sort of perpendicular <laughs> out. to Florida. So. Yes. Well, that's... It's like an arrow. It's, it's very funny. Your mind doesn't think of it. You walk out on the beach, you know, in the evening, you think, oh, the sun's about to set. And then you, Where's look, the sun? Then you look to your right, <laughs> which you think is north, and there's the sun setting right there. It's, it's a super confusing thing, but it's so beautiful. So bring your compass if you're coming to visit yeah. to <laughs> And Santa I know Isle. Jack actually posted um, a picture of you and I. Oh, yeah. Uh, as the sun was setting. And uh, he also posted a picture of the two of them that we had taken yeah, them. that was an awesome Which picture. Which is nice yeah. because usually we go on vacation or travel and we're alone, and you refuse to have anyone take a picture of us. So it's very rare you'll see a picture of both of us. Someone, oh, someone literally has to insist that that 
they're going to take a picture of us, and we have to feel comfortable that they're not going to run away. With the camera, right? Although nowadays, <laughs> since everyone just has a phone and everyone else probably has a phone too, it's less likely someone won't even wants your stinking phone. <laughs> you know, they got one of their own. Well, <laughs> so I'm, I think it's a little safer to ask people to take your picture. I'm just a little you're scared shy. to look at myself. No, and you're a little shy Am when I it comes shy? to asking about... Oh, asking, asking a stranger to take a picture. Okay. Well, if I, I asked you to do that ten times, how many things? How many times do you think you'd say yes? I'd do it if I thought you really need. We needed a picture. I always of us. want a picture. Oh, food. It's called memories, honey. That's, That's what life's about: is creating memories. All right. Well, this is a medical show, and so let's talk about some medical stuff. <laughs> I'm having fun. All right. Just pontificating <laughs> randomly yes. in the universe. <laughs> What else are we talking about? There are beautiful flowers in the world. Oh, beautiful <laughs> flowers. Well, we're going to talk about actually. Right, we did get some seashells. That's so we're talking right. about we have got sand dollars. Not alive. Never pick up right. the ones that are alive. And remember those shells that were so big and beautiful, but they were alive. Yes. They had an They have animal a lot of shells with, with the critter in it. Inhabiting it. So, it, so we're like. we do not. Could not. Yeah, no. Nope. I'm not going to kill something just to have a Never, shell. ever, ever. Well, Anyhow, we are in the first days of summer, guys, and you can be sure that it's going to be a cruel one in most of the country this year. But you know what? You're still going to be out and about, and you've got to be careful. It was pretty darn hot in Sanibel. We didn't keep track of our exposure to the sun. We easily could have gotten a major burn, gotten in big trouble. You're going to talk about the clothing that we Uh, wore? uh, The SPF? Okay, well, let me mention it right now. We, I have found a company... And I have no association with this company whatsoever. I have no association with any company, actually. <laughs> Other than your own. <laughs> so if I mention a company, there's zero, the of your zero chance that I have an association with them. Anyway, uh, Cooley Bar, C-O-O-L-I-B-A-R, Cooley Bar makes really cute for women and handsome for Bar. men clothing with, with built-in... SPF 50 as a minimum. I know actually Columbia, which are some clothing that they carry at, what's it called, Bass Pro? Or Pro Bass. Bass I always get Bass Pro. Um, They now have it too. They have a line of clothing, which is good. You can find it there. But the important thing is, is not just about sunscreen and hats and big sunglasses, which we even wore in the water. I had, remember my big old hat? Yeah. A hat and yeah, big sunglasses yeah, and cute. my sun protection clothing, right? As well as some sunscreen in the water, out of the water, no matter what I was doing. You didn't get burned. You're very fair. No, I got. I, I'm looking complexion. at my lower legs because I had the clothing that they make. Coolie Bar has. They have capris which reach down a few inches below your knee. Um, below that got a little pink. But not uh, bad because I did spray it, and I always spray the top of your feet, folks. People forget if you're wearing flip flops and you're not used to it, the top of your feet are going to be uh, very, very susceptible to being fried. Now, the important thing also with, with sunscreen also <laughs> is that you should apply it 15 minutes before you go out into the sun to give it time to absorb into yep. your system, uh, into your skin, mm-hmm. and you need to do it regularly That's throughout right. the day, especially if you go in the water. Now, one of my favorite sunscreens, again, no association, Neutrogena makes a spray 
one that's, um, I believe the one we have is 70, 50 or 70. I know there's a certain point above SPF that says it's it's all the same, you know, it's whether 50. it says 70 or 50, whatever. But the point about the spray is it's not terribly sticky once it dries on your skin. And it's super easy. You're not, you don't have to smear your hand because sometimes when you're rubbing your hand, you'll miss spots. But the spray is, is pretty um, easily applied evenly over areas. And so I, we really, I think we got a, a good coverage from the spray. And you're not burned. No. And I know, you know, you wore a hat and right, some right. good sunglasses. So always we, we did a good job, knock important. on wood. You know, the truth is in long-term survival or in normal times, you can be really hit hard by extremes of heat and cold. They're part and parcel of all these things. And you, if you find yourself without shelter to protect you from the elements, you know what? You are a poor planner. You are not well prepared. If you don't take the weather into account, too, you've made it your enemy, and that's something you'll regret very quickly. Now, in the heat of summer, you might encounter somebody that's suffering from the ill effects of overheating. You could certainly, at Sanibel, it wouldn't surprise me if oh, we had a to take breaks. Overheat, right? No, we had to take breaks and, and drink gobs and gobs of water, especially if you're going to drink alcohol in the sun. You have to drink even more water. Beforehand. Exactly. Right. And exactly. Well or alternate your drinks with a nice big glass of cool water. And probably a good idea not to do that, but not to drink at all. Well, I'm not. Alcohol, listen, that is. I agree, but sometimes yes, it's just going to happen. Well, <laughs> what we're concerned about right now is hyperthermia. Mm-hmm. Hyperthermia, and and truth is, is that although that's it's most uh, mostly a hot hot weather thing, even in cold weather, if you're significantly exerting yourself physically and you're overdressed and underhydrated, you could even get that even in cooler weather. Heat-related illness runs a spectrum from just having maybe muscle cramps all the way to shock and all the way to, you know, ending your life. And if it's mild to moderate, we refer to the condition as heat exhaustion. If it's severe, we refer to it as heat stroke. Heat exhaustion usually doesn't result in permanent damage, especially if you intervene quickly. But heat stroke can, it can permanently disable or even kill its victim. The effects of very high body temperature constitute a medical emergency. You've got to diagnose and you've got to treat it promptly. Now, the risk of heat stroke correlates strongly to something we call the heat index. And that's a measurement of the effects of air temperature combined with high humidity. Above 60% relative humidity, the loss of heat by perspiration is impaired. And that increases the risk of having heat-related illness or a heat-related emergency. Exposure to full sun increases the reported heat index by in, in humid conditions by as much as 10 to 15 degrees Fahrenheit. Matter of fact, that's the equivalent of being out in much hotter weather, and so you could see how you can really get in trouble. Simply having muscle cramps, fainting spell even, may not signify a major heat-related medical event. You could say heat cramps in kids who've been running around on a hot day. You just get them out of the sun massage the affected muscles, give them hydration, that will usually resolve the problem. A significant rise in the body's core temperature, the core temperature, that is what's required to make the diagnosis of heat exhaustion. As many heat-related symptoms mimic other conditions, you should always have an accurate thermometer as part of your medical kit if you're going out, even if you're going out camping. Uh, you know, Going to the beach, going camping, you should always have a little medical kit 
uh, that you take with you, something that's compact and portable, then actually should consider having a thermometer in it. And those are very compact as well. Uh, in addition to muscle cramps or fainting, you can have uh, a lot of different symptoms with heat exhaustion. You can have a rapid pulse. You can become flush. You sweat very heavily. You can become confused. You have a headache. Uh, you can feel vaguely nauseous. You may even vomit. But the main thing that's happening there is your temperature, core temperature is elevated, sometimes as high up as 105 degrees. And if you don't take action to cool the victim of a heat stroke, I mean a heat exhaustion, then it follows this cascade to heat stroke. And heat stroke, in addition to all the other things we just mentioned that uh, happen with heat exhaustion, can manifest as seizures, uh, loss of consciousness. Some people even bleed in, in their uh, urine. You may see blood in their vomit. Uh, breathing becomes rapid and shallow. You notice that the skin will turn red, not necessarily because it's burned, but because the blood vessels are dilating in a frantic effort to dissipate some of the heat. Now, the skin's going to be hot to the touch, but in some circumstances, the patient's skin may actually seem cool in heat stroke. A person in shock may feel cold and clammy, right? But it's important to realize that it's a body's core temperature that's elevated. Take a reading with your thermometer and you'll see the patient's true status. Heat stroke differs from heat exhaustion is that sweat in that sweating might be absent. This is a significant change because the body uses sweating as a mechanism to cool itself down. Once the core temperature is about 106 degrees, well, thermal regulation breaks down and the body's ability to use sweating as a natural temperature regulator fails. In heat stroke, the body can rise to gosh, 110 degrees Fahrenheit or more. And if you don't deal with that quickly, expect a lot of bad things to happen, shock, organ failure, and that person could easily die. When overheated patient, by the way, the same thing can happen to animals as well. I mean, we had a dog, uh, one of our corgis uh, actually developed heat stroke at a, a little pool get together in the middle of the summer. That was many years ago. And we had to Deal with that immediately. Now, when overheated patients are no longer able to cool themselves, you got to rescue them. You got to do quick actions. And so, if you suspect uh, heat stroke, you immediately remove them from the heat source, the sun especially. Have their clothing removed. Drench them with cool water, ice if if available. Elevate their legs above the level of their heart. That's the shock position. Fan them, otherwise ventilate them to help with heat evaporation. And if you can't drench them in water, put moist, cold compresses in areas where the blood vessels run close to the skin. And these, this would be places like the neck, the armpit, the groin areas. And what this does is it, it more effectively transports cool temperatures to the body core. So that's something that is very important. The Army is now uh, suggesting having a a sheet in which you put ice and cold water and you wrap the person up in it. I think they call it the burrito method uh, of dealing with hyperthermia. I've seen it. You can, you can look it up on YouTube. I'm sure you'll find uh, examples there. So how about giving people a Notice I didn't mention give these people some fluids. Well, the truth is, is that they could easily be dehydrated and oral rehydration is certainly useful to replace fluids that are lost, but it's only safe if the patient is awake and alert. 
If your patient has altered mental status, fluids may enter their airways instead of going down into their stomach. That's bad, and that's called aspiration. It makes the situation much, much worse and interferes with the delivery of oxygen to the tissues. Now, you might think that acetaminophen or ibuprofen can help lower temperatures, but actually it doesn't really work that well. For that purpose, these medications are meant to lower fevers caused by infections. They don't seem to work as well if the fever wasn't caused by an infection, as in heat stroke, for example. Um, hyperthermia. Let's face it, it is largely preventable. If somebody in your group, if you're the medic in a survival setting and some of your people end up with heat exhaustion or heat stroke, it's because you did not plan their activities correctly. You got to make sure they wear clothing appropriate for the weather. Uh, kids, by the way, especially infants, you know how they swaddle infants in blankets, you know, nice and tight, uh, make them look like a papoose, basically. Well, that's simply what's done with a baby, but it's a recipe for disaster in hot weather. That is something that's you really have to watch out for. Now, everybody should be wearing a head covering, a broad brim hat like Amy war at Sanibel Island, that would be a very appropriate thing to do. If you don't have that, you might consider a bandana soaked in water, for example. That might help cool the head off uh, and be effective against the heat. And you have to remember, a lot of the sweating that we do does come from our face and head, so uh, toweling off with your bandana frequently will help in heat evaporation. If you can avoid dehydration, you're going to likely avoid heat exhaustion or heat stroke. And that means that your people that are having to work in hot weather, especially if somebody's not in the greatest physical condition, that is something that will cause dehydration very, very quickly. Consider at least a pint or two of fluids, preferably Gatorade or something else that has electrolytes in it. Uh, I'd say a pint or two per hour while working in the sun and always keep a very close eye on the folks that are older and folks that are very young. These are the people that are really at high risk for heat-related illness. Now, carefully planning your outdoor work in the summer heat and keeping up with fluids, that's going to be a major step in keeping your people healthy and avoiding heat-related emergencies. you got to monitor the workload and the workers, and you'll stay out of trouble. Of course, in the summer, you're going to be more active spending time outdoors. You may be on the trail, you might be at the beach, and of course you're going to be using things like bones and joints and muscles and ligaments and tendons and all that stuff. And they're great. They give the body support, locomotion. There's really no substitute for having all of your parts in good working order. I mean, the amount of work that these structures do, and especially the amount of work they'll be called upon to do after a disaster, they're going to be really increased. Therefore, you can expect to see various types of injuries. There are going to be things that people aren't accustomed to doing, and so you'll see sprains and strains, and sometimes you'll see fractures, things like that. In normal times, it's very important to encourage your people to use modern technology. Isn't that funny? I talk about situations mostly that technology is no longer available, but before a disaster happens, it's important to use modern technology to repair whatever, let's say, orthopedic issues that you might have. You've got a bad knee, you've got a bad shoulder, ankle, other joints. These are commonly damaged to wear, due to wear and tear, and it pays to tune these up while modern orthopedic care is available. Many surgeries, even if you needed a surgery, are done 
through very small incisions. Knee surgeries are done through arthroscopies. Lots of uh, any joint can be evaluated that way. Most can be done as an outpatient. You can imagine how a bum knee can impact your chances for survival, right? So this is something that you really need to do. Get tuned up before something bad happens. Matter of fact, I've taken advantage myself of modern technology. I've used it to improve my vision, something pretty important. If you're nearsighted and need to be able to see well to keep it together, well, in times of trouble, if you can't see, you are probably not going to make it, right? <laughs> I love the sound effects, buddy. That's it for you. So many years ago, I got one of the first LASIK surgeries, and I went from being blind as a bat to having the eyes of an eagle. <laughs> blind as a bat. To having the eyes of an eagle. Yes. I'll admit a very old eagle at this point, but still an eagle. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about orthopedic injuries. Of course, everybody's heard of ligaments and tendons, sprains and strains. Some people, though, just don't know what they really are. So let's define your anatomical terms. A joint is a physical point of connection between two bones, allowing a certain range of motion, right? Like the knee joint or the elbow joint. A ligament is fibrous tissue that connects one bone to another. And oftentimes that's across a joint as well. Uh, tendon, a tendon is tissue that extends from muscle and it connects to bone so it's it's sort of the end of a muscle and it gets you to uh, a connecting point uh, usually a bone now if you have a sprain that's an injury when a ligament is excessively stretched or torn and a strain s-t-r-a-i-n is when a muscle or a tendon is partially torn as a result of an injury and a, there is also something called a rupture, and a rupture is when there's a complete tear right through either a ligament or a muscle. Our joints are really marvels of engineering, i got to tell you. They provide mobility, locomotion. They bear an incredible amount of stress without mishap in most circumstances. They are moving parts, however, and they wear down. And so you have to realize that you're going to deal with these things as people do exertions in survival that are not what they're accustomed to. The most common sprains will involve the ankle, the wrist, the knee, the finger. These are common places to have sprains. Uh, the most likely signs and symptoms are bruising, swelling, pain. Of course, you probably have experienced a sprain at one point or another in your life, maybe when you were in uh, school and doing athletics or, you know, just happens to everybody. I mean, really, as a rare individual who's never experienced this kind of injury at some point in their life and in some degree of severity. Now, treatment for all sprains, or for most sprains at least, is pretty straightforward. It follows the easy-to-remember RICE's protocol. That acronym is called R-I-C-E or R-I-C-E-S. RICE or RICE's. R stands for rest. That means that's important to avoid further injury. By not testing the injured joint, rest it. You may not have a choice, of course, but if you can stop whatever actions led to the injury, that's going to give you the best chance for a full recovery. Continued strain can cause a weakened ligament to re-injure itself again and again. I've experienced this in high school athletics with a, a sprained ankle, and I every time I went on the field, sprained it again. Um Ice, uh, that I stands for ice, uh, R stands for rest, I stands for ice. Cold therapy uh, decreases both swelling and pain. The earlier you apply it, the more effect 
that it'll have in speeding up the healing process. Of course, in the, if you're in the wilderness, you may not have ice, but you may have those, some of those shake-and-break cold packs. I think they're a good idea to have in your medical kit. Uh, if not, you may have to stick your ankle in a stream to get uh, some cooling action. Do what you can with what you have, right? Uh, cold therapy uh, should be performed, if you can, several times a day for about 20 to 30 minutes or so each time for, let's say, the first 24 to 48 hours. And, and after that time, it's not as important. doesn't do quite as much good as in the first 24 to 48 hours. Always make sure you do that. This is followed each time that you do cold, cold therapy by applying compression, C for compression, R, rest, I, ice, C, compression. A compression bandage is very useful to decrease swelling. should be placed after each cold therapy. It'll help provide support to the joint and uh, could involve just an elastic ACE bandage. Uh, you would start below the joint, work your way up beyond it. The wrap should be tight, but not uncomfortably so. Any, any tingling or uh, numbness or change in color will, beyond the level of the wrap will tell you that it is too tight. It should be loosened, excessively tight wrap can affect circulation so you know fingers or toes becoming white or even blue bad idea loosen it up and e in rice stands for elevation you want to elevate the sprain above the level of the heart and that will help prevent swelling at the site of the injury swelling is uh, in medical speak called edema and it's caused by fluid that pools where the inflammation is and where gravity will allow it. By elevating the leg, you're allowing the fluid to process itself back into your circulation, and it'll aid the healing process, or, or at least not impede it. Some people add to rice an, an S, rices, and that S is for stabilization. If you mobilize an injury, you may help prevent further damage. Of course, as you're, if you're having to move somebody, jostling them around, and, with, and not immobilizing the joint could cause it to be injured or re-injured. So a compression bandage alone may work, but a, a splint or a cast might be even better. And these are commercially produced. You can, uh, can find the versatile SAM splint. Uh, SAM stands for the first name of the doctor that designed it, and he managed to call it a structural aluminum malleable splint. So... That's it. There are inflatable air splints. These are also very useful. Both of these are more expensive than, of course, improvising with sticks and cloth or, or maybe a pillow and some duct tape. But all of these things will help to stabilize an injured uh, ankle, let's say, or an injured wrist. Uh, we're often asked how to tell the difference between a sprain and a fracture. That is actually a, a dilemma sometimes. Uh, it's sometimes, of course, it's easy when a bone is suddenly zigzag, but not every fracture is going to have an arm and leg pointing in the wrong direction. <laughs> Many times it's hard for even an orthopedic surgeon to figure out what they're dealing with without modern diagnostic tests. They're obviously not going to be available in a survival situation. Now, some folks in Ottawa, Canada, figured out some signs for ankle and foot injuries that may give you a clue that you're dealing with a fracture, even if you don't have x-ray capability and things that you would want to pay particular attention to. Most important, perhaps, is the inability to put weight on the injury and being unable to walk three or four steps, let's say, in the emergency room or uh, after the injury, that may be a sign of a fracture. Now, if there's any pain in the, what we call the malleolar zone, that is the bone that sticks out that you ordinarily would consider the ankle bone. And if the bone itself, either on the inside of the 
leg or the outside of the leg or the area directly above it on either side has significant pain, it is more likely to be a fracture. Pain from a sprain is usually below that bone or to the side of that bone. So that's something important. Now, if you have bone tenderness along the bottom part of the leg bones, you have two leg bones, the bigger leg bone in front is called the tibia, the smaller bone in back is called the fibula. Well, if you press on your leg and, and start below the knee and work downward, you can sometimes elicit some pain in the lowest part of these bones uh, and that might represent a fracture there. So that's important to know. Uh, also, uh, for feet, pain in the midfoot, not the heel or the toes, but the instep, especially on the inside of the foot, might indicate a fracture of something called the navicular bone. At the base of the long bone that goes to the little toe on the outside of the foot, that's another sign. I, you know what? It's better for me to show you. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. One of our next videos is going to be about this. In addition, also make sure that if there's a cut in the area of an injury, you might have an open fracture, a particularly dangerous one. That's something important to check out. A fracture may represent also may present a, a grating sensation when you press on it near the area where you think there might be broken ends of bones. The two ends grate against each other. And there are other signs. We're going to talk about these next show. Now we have a special treat for you. Jack Spierko, our good friend and granddaddy of all preparedness podcasters, celebrating his 10th anniversary. Here's a talk with him. Okay, well, here we are in beautiful Sanibel Island, Florida, and we have a very, very special guest. And you know what? It is a very, very special day for our good friend Jack Spierko, the granddaddy of all preparedness podcasters. Jack, welcome to the show. Well, yeah, I guess I am a granddaddy now. Yes, <laughs> I don't, in, in many ways. In many, in many ways. ways. You know, this is Jack's 10th anniversary of his starting his preparedness podcast the survival podcast probably the most popular podcast honestly among the preparedness community and all sorts of other folks honestly uh, that is on the market so tell us a little bit about you know it's been such a long and winding road tell us a little bit about what started all this stuff and uh, how's it been going well a little more than 10 years ago today I was running several different companies and one was an uh, internet marketing uh, development design company and I had a client who was a financial advisor, and he wanted a blog and a site and this form to like uh, figure out what guests or what his visitors wanted as far as like a, a survey for potential investors. And he also wanted to do a financial podcast. So I put a bid on the job, and we won the job. And I went back to my developer and said, "Here, do this." And he goes, "I don't really know how to set the podcast thing up." I'm like, "Don't worry about that. I'll figure it out. I've been thinking about doing one anyway." So that day that I handed that spec over, I got in my car with like a cheap like little camera thing that had an MP3 recorder in it, threw it in my lap and did episode one of the Survival Podcast. Wow. And it was 2008. It was right before the financial crisis. I knew that was coming. A couple episodes into it, I started talking about that, protecting your money. Uh, but on that first day that I got home, I did that little 25-minute first episode. I went home, and usually by the time I got home in the traffic in Dallas-Fort Worth, I want to punch a hole in the wall. I wasn't quite as angry. And I'm like, hey, this might be a good thing. So I did the show for like, I think it was like six months before I even told my wife I was doing it. And then I'm like, I told her toward the end of 2008, like, yeah, we got like 2,000 listeners now. This is going to be cool. Like, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And she's always been a supportive wife and all. But you could see that little smirk like, oh, okay, you're going to do this. Yeah, right. Like, a year later, a year later, I sold out any of the interest that I had in any of the companies. 
I walked away from my business. I walked away from a fairly good six-figure income and started doing the show full-time. So that was 18 months into it, and I've been doing it ever since. And since we got off, you know, I got off the road with it, we do guest shows, we do call-in shows, we do uh, expert council shows, which you're a member of, and so That's is uh, Nurse Amy. Yes. Uh, and uh, it's just turned into kind of its own thing and its own community. And then the coolest thing is, like, the sub-community. So we have, like, a Zello channel that's, that's from our community. We have a Facebook forum that's from our community. We have a old-school PHP-based you know, based forum that's from our community. We have all these sub-communities out there doing cool stuff. We even have our own nonprofit uh, we responded to Hurricane Harvey with. And so it, it's really turned into an amazing thing, and, and, and it's not just a business now. It's kind of part of our whole lifestyle. Well, it's not. And, and I'll, I'll tell you one thing, that it has evolved in so many different directions. I mean, you've been uh, not dabbling, actually becoming an expert in so many different fields over the course of your time doing this podcast. I mean, you've gone into animal husbandry, you have permaculture, uh, paleo. Uh, diet, uh, diet counseling. I mean, all this stuff. Tell us a little bit about, you know, what makes you interested in a particular thing. What gets yeah. you interested in things? Well, let's start with like one, like permaculture. So, right when I started the show and I started to get some listeners, some got, somebody sent me this video, and it was like the the first crappy video Jeff Lawton ever did on permaculture. It was called "Greening the Desert," and it was like this five minute video, and it wasn't even really a video. It was like a slideshow of pictures of him talking in the background. And he was talking about this site in Jordan that was like 10 feet below sea level. It's like 118 degrees. They put these things in called swales. I didn't even know what they were at the time. And in like six months, they have like mushrooms growing in the swales. People are phoning them up going, there's a problem. We have a fungus. Right? <laughs> they, and they, no living person there had ever seen a mushroom. They didn't know what it was. Wow. And they were growing figs. And there was this place where there was so much salt. Supposedly the, the figs would never produce. And within a year, they had figs on the trees. And they're calling up these people from the University of uh, Jordan. They go down there. They test the soil, and the salt's still there. But somehow, by all the water it locked up, it made the salt inert, and the plants could grow. And I'm like, holy crap, if you can do this in Jordan, in the desert, well, I have no excuse for whatever doesn't work here. So I started learning more about the science and the design behind permaculture. And then that led to so many other things. Because So in the military, I was a mechanic. And the main thing you do as a mechanic is troubleshooting. And what I realized that permaculture really was pattern recognition, and then we find the pattern, and if there's something wrong with the pattern, we alter that to fix it. It's troubleshooting. And then you just start springboarding into all types of other things. Well, now we have land. The land needs to be repaired. The land has no fertility, so now we need ducks, so we bring the ducks in. My wife needs something to do because we didn't have our grandkids yet. She wants a duck business, so I designed this whole system of these ducks moving through the property. They start improving the fertility. So now you got to become a duck expert because there's 150 ducks out there, and if you don't know what they're doing, they're like they're living creatures, so they'll die. True. So then like that, that takes hold. And then you know our grandkids came along. And the duck thing was really my wife's, and I didn't really want to do it. So she's like, I got the kids every day now. So the ducks went away. We sold them off to customers, and they each started their own little business, and we turned our customers over to them. And, you know, I went on to aquaponics, and it was like, okay, in spite of all the good the ducks did, I still want more food production. And we can grow trees and, and perennials well, but gardening really sucks when you have four inches of dirt on a slab rock. So I started learning about aquaponics. So it's anything that provides and makes my life better, and then is any way challenging. If it's not challenging, then it's hard for me to get really excited about it. It has to be something that, like, requires me to learn something new or requires me, like, even if I don't learn it from somebody else, to go, like, this is broken or this fish is dead, what happened, and figure it out. And then it also has to be exciting enough that I can roll it into my show because over these 10 years, 
the show's gone through cycles. Like, you know, there was a part where I was talking about quail an awful lot. We still talk about them. They're a great bird. They're probably better than chickens for most people with backyard uh, systems. But we don't talk about them as much as we used to. We talk a lot about aquaponics now because that's what I'm doing. And I'm sure it'll ebb and flow to, uh, pun intended, to other Uh things throughout time. Uh, But, you know, does it produce food? Does it help people start businesses? Things like that. Does it improve your security, self-sufficiency? And is it fun? If it meets any of those or all of those, then it's something we take in and we, we learn about it. What's the hardest thing about what you do? Huh. That's, that's, that's a hard question because I don't know that I kind of see any of it as hard anymore. Um, I guess dealing with idiots, but I actually have a lot of fun with that. I usually take idiots and use their name to make a sale code, and then we make money <laughs> off of them or something like that. Um, you, would think get, you, you would think the answer would be, you know, I've done almost 2,500 shows now. I've uh, been doing it for 10 years. It would be getting up in the morning and figuring out what to talk about. Well, as the audience has grown and that interest level has grown, it's like having your own private research team. So there's always people bringing me stuff. We've kind of come up with a schedule now, so that's not really difficult. I guess there are days like anything, even if you love what you do, like I don't really want to work today. And making yourself work in that situation can be difficult. Sometimes it's kind of challenging when you're doing like an interview and it's something really serious and then, like, your granddaughter pops off squealing in the background because she's upset or happy about something. <laughs> but that's really no big deal either. And I've actually had a few people complain about that. I usually tell them, well, uh, words I won't what? use on your podcast, right? Like, you know, it's kind of annoying having that kid in the background. And oh I use, like, gosh. the words George Carlin got arrested for all in one sentence. Like, that's, <laughs> that's how they get a response. Um, it, it, there's really not anything difficult about it other than maintaining the work ethic, uh, people think, well, all you do is record a podcast. Well, I probably work eight to ten hours a day, and to make that show stay good. So when you really could kind of put the training wheels on and just coast, and not letting yourself do that, that's probably one of the more challenging things. This time of year, it's like a hundred million degrees outside. It's easy because I don't want to go out there anyway. But like in the spring and the fall, when it's beautiful, I got projects outside. Forcing myself to continue to do the work, make the show better, do the research. You know, on a show that's like a Tuesday show where it's just me, I might have 14 hours of research into that show, right? So, you know, you've, and you've got to do that on top of everything else. So staying disciplined, I guess. I think that is really some of the toughest stuff for us as well. I mean, we uh, have to think of medical topics, and now after we just have maybe 400 podcasts under our belts, but there's probably not a heck of a lot of stuff that we haven't talked about. I mean, you have to actually almost develop a new disease or something for us. To, <laughs> I mean, which... which Every so often happens, like Zika virus or, uh, you know, Ebola epidemics and stuff like that. But that that is a big issue for us as well. Tell, tell me a little bit about Dorothy. Now, I, I'm sure that you've talked about just about everything else, but I don't hear you talk a lot about Dorothy on the show. How does she help you? Uh, she probably gets into the show with me mentioning her at least several times a week because she's so important in my life. She doesn't do a lot as far as being on the air. I think we've had her voice on the air once in 10 years um she's not big on doing stuff like that but she is she is like so if i didn't have her i'd be paying a personal assistant like 40 grand a year to take care of all the shit she takes care of um she does all of like when our members join all our members that join manually that don't pay online she does all their entries she does all the renewal reminders for those people so that they'll like stay a member uh, all my guests. So my guests fill out a form. They apply to get on. Even you, if you want to be on the air other than expert counsel, you have to fill out a form. I get people like, I'd like to be on the show, and I'd like to talk about blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, if Jesus wanted to be on the air, I would say, Jesus, 
fill yeah. out the guest form, right? So she receives those guest forms. She screens the vet guests. She gets them set up for me. Uh, you know, she basically does everything that if you're running a full-time business and you would have a, a personal assistant to do, she does that for me. And, you know, it's it's probably better than having someone that's not her because she deals with all my crap. And, you know, I would probably have to turn over one personal assistant a year if they had to deal with me and it wasn't her. So that's a good thing. Well, the Chamber of Commerce of Sanibel Island asked me to ask you <laughs> what you like so much about Sanibel Island. I, 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 can, I can tell you what I like about it. I think it's awesome, but I want, I'd like to hear your opinion. So I talked my wonderful wife into coming here, I think, in 2004 for the first time. She wanted to go to Mexico again and do, like, the all-inclusive type thing and whatever, and I'm like, I'm like, you know what, I really want to take you to where I went when I was a child with my grandmother, and I have such fond memories of it. She's like, son of a bitch. It's like, how do you how do you come back from that? And I'm like, listen, like, and she, she had to even had, we just, we had travel agents in 2004, and she had this travel agent trying to talk me into going to Mexico. I'm like, I don't want to go through customs. I want to go where it was when I was a child. And she's like, the guilt card damn it, yes. damn it, yes. right? So, so I bring her here, and she goes, I love this place. And I'm like, I'll tell you what I love about this place. The last time I was here before I brought her here in 2004 would have been 1985. Wow. It's still the same. Nothing changes here. There's no high-rises. There's no major developments. Pretty much all the places you can build something have been built. It's beautiful water. It's beautiful sand beaches. And it, it was a lot of the regulations they put in place. And I'm not a fan of regulations, but, you know, I'm a pragmatist, and there's going to be regulations. So in 66, they said no chain restaurants, no structures over three stories tall. And if it's more than three stories tall, the bottom story has to basically be like uh, like a garage type thing. Like So there's no high rises. There's no big giant condominium developments. So it's still like it was in the 60s. It's true. And it's the one place that I can bring my family and talk about when I was a kid without being a trip seriously and say, this is what it was like when I was here. And I don't know any place else like that. The places I grew up hunting in Pennsylvania, they're all strip malls now. The places I grew up in Jacksonville, I don't even want to see what they're like now. But here on Sanibel Island, it is Florida in 1965, and that's pretty awesome. Plus the fish, as you've seen, yeah, they're you've everywhere. Been, you've we're, been, uh, just... we're living on ceviche and fried trout. And the best thing is, and we won't explain it, they'll have to go research it for themselves if they're your listeners and not mine. But Travis, the vegan troll, pretty much paid for this whole trip. So that's awesome. <laughs> we'll just leave that there. And yeah. if you're interested to find out, go to my Facebook page, and you can dig through it All and right. figure out what's going on. Well, we'll say hi to Travis then on the air. <laughs> hi, Travis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, I just wanted to... Uh, ask you just one other thing and that is basically what is in the future for you you know honestly more of the same i can't tell you specifically topic wise where we'll go next as you've seen over the last 10 years we kind of go through all these different things and learn new things and bring them in uh but i like you've talked to me about you know you should get on national radio or whatever and i'm you like should. i you know i we get we're, we're close to 200,000 downloads a day now we're like 180 to 190,000 downloads a day we have a great life. I get up in the morning. If I don't want to start till 9 o'clock, I wait till 9 o'clock to start. If I want to start at 7, I start at 7. I do my show. I help people. I respond to emails. I respond to you know call-ins. I, I do as much information as I can. And then I live my life with my family. And so I actually consider myself, in spite of the fact that I work as much as most people that have a job work as far as hours, in a semi-retired state. And I really like it that way. And as I've added things that were side things over the years, they always made me miserable. They always drug me down. They always actually took focus away from what I'm doing. 
And what I've decided is I'm going to do one thing. I'm going to do it really freaking well until people don't want to hear it anymore. And as long as people want to hear it, it's available 24-7, 365. There's over 2,000 episodes out there. If I haven't covered something you're interested in, honestly, go find somebody else. <laughs> or wait, we'll probably yeah. get there sooner or later. Now, for the old lady uh, in our audience that has never heard of you, how can we connect? How can that old lady connect with you, find out about your podcast, find sure. out about what you do? Well, you can go to the survivalpodcast.com, and on that website, you can connect to all my social media. You can listen to all my episodes. You can even find a link there that tells you how to use my site if you can't figure it out, though it's pretty easy. And if you don't want to type out the survival, especially on your phone, you can go to TSPC, TSPC.co, C-O, not the com, and that's a short link that will take you straight over to our site. Jack, thank you so much for coming on our show. I wish you a happy 10th anniversary. Today is the actual 10th anniversary. You're going to have some kind of party, I think, in a month or so. August 11th uh, at uh, Meso Maya, we are going to have, uh, we haven't decided on how many guests yet. We were going to do 50, and that seems like we're going to have to tell an awful lot of people no, so we're probably going to up the guest count to 100. It's going to be really cool. Uh, in my, what city? In Fort Worth, Texas, Cowtown, USA. Uh, we're going to have this pretty awesome place. It's upstairs. Have our own bar, our own bartenders. It'll be like a four-hour party, basically. And have you know, I'll tell you what's kind of capped off this as being really a worthwhile endeavor. Getting emails from people like, you know, we're going to drive down for Virginia. I'm like, you're going to drive from Virginia with your wife because, you know, Encumbered by the female bladder, a Virginia trip yes. takes a lot longer than yes. otherwise. Yes. Right? So, like, you're going to drive from Virginia with your wife for a four-hour party to come hang out with me. Like, that that really says a lot about, you know, the fact that we are making a difference in lives. And, and that's what it's really all about. You know, you said the person that's not heard of us. Like, you hear the survival podcast. You think of it like, you know, we're out there with the knife in our teeth, like stabbing alligators or something in, like in that. In your bunker, yeah. Yeah, you know, and I'm not going to say that we never talk about things like that, the bushcrafting stuff, the primitive skills and all. We cover everything. And, like, the most rewarding thing that's come out of this is getting emails from people that say, because of your stuff on business, I've started a business, and I'm walking away from my job. You want self-sufficiency and independence, as you know, Bones. When you work for yourself, you won't fire yourself. Now, you'll probably have the biggest ass of a boss. Yeah. If you're <laughs> successful, true. when you're – in fact, we made a shirt uh-huh. that says, I'm self-employed and I hate my boss. <laughs> right? Like – that's true, but it is so much more liberating and free than any other way, man. So it's been a great 10 years, and hopefully we got at least 10 more in us. Absolutely. Well, it's a long, winding road, and we're glad that we met you on it. Jack, thank you so much, and back to our show. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Survival Medicine Hour with Joe and Amy Alton. Yes. Did you enjoy it? I enjoyed it very much. Well, you were very, very educational. Oh, and, and you are entertaining. Too. And edutaining. That's what I am. I like your voice. See you next week. Are you worried about how dangerous the world has become? In these days of terrorist attacks, natural disasters, or even a future collapse, you need to be medically prepared to keep your family safe. I'm Amy Alton, ARNP of store.doomandbloom.net, where you'll find an entire line of uniquely designed medical kits and supplies for when help is not on the way. For everything from individual first aid kits to the ultimate family bag, go to store.doomandbloom.net today. You'll be glad you did. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.